This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. Je veux une France qui s'inscrit dans une Europe forte, continue de nouer Des alliances avec les grandes démocraties pour se défendre. Je continuerai à le faire pour être, si vous le décidez, au lendemain du second tour, sans exclusive aucune, la présidente de tous les Français. Welcome to a special edition of EU Confidential. I'm Andrew Gray, politics editor at Political Europe in Brussels. And you just heard the two big winners from the first round of France's presidential election. That's Emmanuel Macron, the incumbent, who came first, followed by far-right leader Marine Le Pen. So those two qualify for a runoff vote in two weeks' time, where the winner takes it all. The presidency of one of the two big powers at the heart of the European Union, a nuclear-armed nation and permanent member of the UN Security Council. In a moment, we'll analyse the result, hear from the camps of the main candidates and look ahead to that all-important second round. But first, let's recap the results. These are still estimates of the final numbers as of around 11pm local time on Sunday night. So the figures may change a bit by the time you're listening to this, but they shouldn't have changed by much. Emmanuel Macron, a centrist pro-EU president, is in first place with about 27.5% of the vote. Marine Le Pen is in second with 23%. Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the left-wing candidate, looks to have scored more than 22%, but has just failed to catch Le Pen to take second. Then there's a big gap to far-right upstart candidate Éric Zemmour in fourth place on around 7%. And let's also mention a few candidates who look to have scored under 5%. Valérie Précresse of the Conservative Les Républicains, about 4.8%. Green candidate Yannick Jadot on about 4.7%. And the Socialist Party's Anne Hidalgo, the Mayor of Paris, on just 1.8%. Earlier this evening, as the numbers were still shifting around a bit, but the overall result was clear... We held a live discussion on Twitter with a crew of our Paris reporters, some of them joining us directly from the election night events of the main candidates. So let's dive into the highlights from that discussion now. I started by asking Clea Colca, our French politics reporter, what the results said about the state of France and French politics right now. Well, I think what it shows is that you know, that movement from the left-right divide that we had mostly throughout the decades after 
the Second World War has really disappeared in France. And we, we're really moving towards a battle between the nationalists on one side, uh, represented by Marine Le Pen, and more progressive, more pro-Europeans on the other side, who are headed by um, Emmanuel Macron. I mean, when you look at the results uh, tonight, you see two big showings for Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, both above 20%, doing better than their results you know, five years ago. And we also see a big showing for Mélenchon, the far-left leader, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who got above 21%. And then all the other candidates are way behind. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. And, uh, you know, the, the politicians who used to run France, like Annie, you know, the Socialist Party, from the Socialist Party, or Les Républicains. So this time round, it's Annie Hidalgo and Valérie Pécresse. I mean, they're way down the rankings. Annie Hidalgo has got 1.8%. That's nothing. And so I think we should take a moment to sort of notice that and see how, you know, what going forward towards the second round, it's very much, you know, the voters for uh, Mélenchon, the far left candidate, and the voters for Eric Zemmour, who will have a big say in what the voters are going to do, whether they're going to go towards Macron or towards Marine Le Pen, because those big blocks of the past have sort of disappeared quite a fair bit. Yeah, they really have. I mean, it's quite incredible to see those two kind of big beasts of of French politics in recent decades, those two big parties reduced to such marginal roles, really. Claire, maybe just one thing for people who may be just kind of tuning into the election campaign now. Obviously, everything at the moment is overshadowed by Russia's war in Ukraine. How big a role did it play in the campaign and why wasn't it more damaging to Marine Le Pen, who has in the past had a fairly close association with Vladimir Putin and with Russia? A couple of things. One is that she has been very skillful uh, when the war started in flipping around, U-turning on Russia and saying, that she was surprised that, uh, you know, it had changed her opinion of Putin and uh, she swiftly condemned the invasion of Ukraine and so therefore managed to sort of step aside. And at the same time, we had her far-right rival, uh, Eric Zimmer, who all was, was putting out ambiguous signals about Russia, saying that Ukrainian refugees should go to Poland instead of France. And so he took a lot of the flack for, you know, that, that sort of increased media scrutiny that we had when the war started in Ukraine. And also what she's done is that international politics, what, what's happening on the world stage isn't really part of her campaign this time round. She's very much doing a campaign on protecting French consumers, protecting French voters, the downtrodden, the poor people. So she's campaigning on, on uh, cost of living issues. And so she's really sort of you know, managed to put aside those sort of big issues flying around. And that's been her sort of treadmill for the past few months. And I, th- I think that's helped sort of deflect all this bad publicity around, around Putin um, and around her links. But obviously, this puts a lot of attention on, on the French election right now, because we know that France is crucial in Um, you know, the European unity on Ukraine, it's crucial in NATO. And so therefore having, if she comes to power, if if she does win in the second round, which is unlikely, but that would entail a big turn in European politics and, and in the future of the European Union. 
Right, and I guess that's it. It's all to play for now in that second round. We did see polls taken before the first round suggesting that the second round runoff would be close if it were between Macron and Le Pen, but it did suggest that Macron would win, perhaps narrowly. But of course, those are hypotheticals, right? We're in a new situation now where it's for real. It's a rerun of last time. How will people vote? And as you say, Clea, a lot will come down to how the voters of those other candidates, particularly those who did pretty well, how those voters uh, decide to vote in the second round and indeed whether they decide to vote at all or whether they in fact decide to to stay at home. Let's jump round the different camps now, talk to our reporters there. So you may hear a bit of um, background noise, a bit of democracy in action as the supporters of the various camps uh, make their voices heard. Uh, But let's see if we can start with Elisa Brown, our reporter at the Macron camp. Elisa, what was the mood uh, at the election night event there? And what's Emmanuel Macron been saying? Sorry, Andrew, as you mentioned, there is some noise because Macron's headquarters just transformed into some sort of DJ set. Uh, (laughs) There is indeed a sense of relief because the whole afternoon you had polls that were showing a very close gap between Marine Le Pen and Macron. And uh, I just discussed with Clément Beaune, the junior minister for EU affairs, who just said that he felt that relief at the moment that the results were announced. However, they are already uh, ready to go to to battle. And I also discussed with some people who are actually quite concerned because the gap is not, I mean, they think that the battle is not won yet. And they're a bit concerned about the fact that the president was quite tired during the past few weeks and he now has to actually uh, go into the battle with Marine Le Pen. So, And it seems that tomorrow Macron tries to actually address these concerns because he's uh, supposed to head north to the Hauts-de-France region where Mar- Marine Le Pen is actually very powerful. So some people said that uh, he did not take many risks during the first part of this campaign because he was too busy with uh, Ukraine war. And uh, I sense that he'll try to show that he can convince the popular voters. And there is also the question of appealing to left voters who uh, rooted for Mélenchon. So I guess that uh, he will try to actually do that in Marseille, because he's also expected to go to this south city of France, which is also where Mélenchon uh, is an MP. Right. And do we have any sense from his remarks uh, what the kind of uh, main messages will be for his second round campaign? You know, any indications of his strategy there beyond taking the fight, you know, beyond Paris, getting out into the field, into the fray a bit more? Well, obviously, he'll try to convince on his European agenda. That's what makes him different from Marine Le Pen. This European agenda is also something really important for the voters from the left and the Socialist Party who still uh, believe in the European project. Mm. Yeah. OK, thanks, Elisa. Let's go to Maya de la Baume now, who was at the Marine Le Pen election night event. Uh, Maya, I know you're also in a location that might be a bit noisy, but give us a sense of the reaction from the Le Pen camp to the result and how they're feeling about the second round. So, yes, it was, a, you know, an interesting night for Le Pen and her score was much better than the one she had in 2017 even though she gave a speech that I thought was pretty cautious I didn't she didn't sound very triumphant in her speech qui m'ont témoigné leur confiance ma plus sincère gratitude j'en mesure avec humilité toute la responsabilité 
What I hear here is from a lot of people who are close to her that, you know, she conducted a campaign that, as Clea said, was very sort of down to earth, close to the people, speaking about the real issues. And a lot of people said here that she was much better prepared than she was back in, in 2017. And they hope that she will show this even more during this, this campaign, this you know, before the second round. And one of them, Louis Alliot, who's one of uh, her closest uh, members of the Guard, said that for him, they were close to the goal, which was an interesting aspect. Like he said, we're close to it. Right, so they think they can win, right? They think they can win. We can win. Yeah. And most people here were chanting, we will win, we will win. Yeah, and do we think that she'll continue to focus on those kind of pocketbook issues in, in the second round? Is that the sense you kind of got from her speech as well? Absolutely. It's exactly what I what most people told me, that she had, you know, started the whole strategy of her campaign was really to be on top of every single issue that is of concern to the French and that she would continue and she will come as prepared as she was in the past weeks. Maya, you've also reported extensively for us from Brussels. What do you think the EU reaction, the Brussels bubble reaction, if you like, will be to this election result and to Marine Le Pen's strong showings, perhaps not quite as strong as some polls predicted, but as you say, it's stronger than last time. Looks like she will give Emmanuel Macron more of a run for his money, could even win, even though it's an outside chance, but she does seem to have some chance uh, of winning the second round. How do you think that's going to go down in Brussels? I, I think it will go down exactly as it went down, you know, previously in the in 2017. People, you know, have big fears. Most people in Brussels don't want her to win clearly because most people there are are mostly pro-European, and most people, I think, fear that you know the fact that she looks more mainstream today is not really true because what she stood for before uh, is exactly what she stands for now even though she doesn't talk about Brexit but she talks about getting you know exiting getting out of the EU treaties and that's a way for most of, of people in Brussels to say that they want that she wants France out of the EU. Right, that's it. We've heard that rhetoric from her and from others. They've kind of toned it down. But when they talk about reforming the EU, it does seem like they're talking about something that really wouldn't be the EU anymore, you know, according to their description of it. Maya, thanks for now. Let's switch to somebody else on the far right, uh, someone who made a lot of noise, a lot of the early uh, running, and that's the pundit Eric Zemmour, who really did seem like uh, the kind of rising star on the right, but has ended up with just around 7% of the vote. Our reporter Giorgio Liali is with his camp. Giorgio, what's been the reaction there and what's their explanation for why uh, Zemmour didn't do better ultimately in this election? Well, the atmosphere here is very different from uh, what Elisa and Maya told us. So the headquarters is totally empty now. Everyone has left. But reactions were, of course, very much disappointed. Many people were wooing after the, re- the results of the projection came up. So people are very disappointed. Uh, we spoke with some, of, with some of them, and many of them expected uh, the move to do so much better. But also most of them, they already had made their mind up for the second round. And when it comes to, to the reason behind this, of course, there are several ones. The uh, first one is the fact that uh, Zemmour paid the consequences of, uh, or 
we could say that Zemmour had to face uh, the consequences of some very radical opinions, which also used to belong to Marine Le Pen. But in this election, as we saw, uh, Le Pen adopted a more uh, moderate stance. So it was a very hard position to defend uh, Zemmour one in the geopolitical context in which we are. And during his final speech, uh, Zemmour recognized that he probably made some, uh, some mistakes. And then people from the audience started crying, no, you have made no mistakes. So there was a lot of enthusiasm after some disappointment at the beginning, and people are very confident that Reconquest can uh, have a good score at the upcoming legislative elections in June. Right, Reconquest is the name of his party, and it's always worth remembering in France we have this system where the president is very powerful, but then you have separate parliamentary elections. Those are coming up, and that is another chance for some of these candidates and their parties to put in a strong showing and have some impact in the years to come, uh, really. Uh, Let's go from Eric Zemmour to Jean-Luc Mélenchon. And I'm going to bring in our reporter, Louise Yule. Hi, Louise. Uh, tell us how the mood was there, because that's a very strong score for Mélenchon. He doesn't make the second round, but he's over 20%. What's the explanation there for why he did so well? So, yeah, indeed, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon did a very good score, actually better than what some of the polls predicted. And I think it's mainly because some of left-wing voters were actually convinced that he could be the candidate that who would be able to face uh, Emmanuel Macron in the second round. And I think in that sense that, you know, the polls before the election might have, you know, have some influence on the behaviors of, of the left-wing voters who maybe would have voted for the Green candidate Yannick Jadot or the Socialist Party candidate and Hidalgo, but considering how low their score is today, it was predicted some of the voters uh, from the left wing actually casted their vote for Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who also this year tried to build uh, maybe a stronger base than he did uh, five years ago. So in the room, obviously, you had some very disappointed supporters, but also some that were actually pretty proud of the campaign and of the score of Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Yeah, he did, he did seem to unite a lot of, of left-wing voters, as you say, to the detriment of some of the others who would be on the political left, like the other candidates, such as uh, the Greens, uh, Jadot and, and also Hidalgo. But the big question now is that's a big block of voters, so they have a big say in what happens now. Mélenchon, I think, was criticised in the past for not being clear about what he thought his uh, voters should do. Uh, he did kind of make clear, right? He didn't quite say who they should vote for, but he did say who they shouldn't vote for. Exactly. So he did say clearly during the speech that uh, no ballots should be cast for Marine Le Pen. Vous ne devez pas donner une voix à Madame Le Pen. The far-right candidate. Uh, you repeated it actually three times. Il ne faut pas donner une seule voix à Madame Le Pen. Il ne faut pas donner une seule voix à Madame Le Pen. Il ne faut pas donner une seule voix à Madame Le Pen. To make it really clear that indeed his supporters and left-wing voters shouldn't support uh, Marine Le Pen, but they didn't say anything about voting 
or not for Emmanuel Macron in the second round. And when you talk to supporters here in, in the room, they actually, I mean, some of them are saying, we'll cast a blank vote at the next round. They don't want to, you know, pick a side in a way because they're not satisfied with any of the two candidates who remain in the race. And also some are actually pretty clear that they will not go vote for the second round, that they will not even cast uh, their ballot in two weeks. But Mélenchon also did, um, was also quite forward-looking in his speech in the sense that he tried to reassure voters uh, and his supporters that he will try to build on this momentum because obviously the dynamic is, I mean, and the score that he makes tonight provides some hopes for his supporters and that he will try to create this momentum for the parliamentary election in a couple of weeks so that maybe we'll see more candidates from the Greens and the Socialist Party maybe unite with his own political party and he kind of tried to reach out to other left-wing supporters of the Greens and the Socialist Party during his speech. Mm. Do you think, just picking up on a point that Elisa made earlier, as Emmanuel Macron tries to reach out to those Mélenchon voters, is there anything he could say or do that would persuade them to vote for him rather than doing that thing, which again is quite a French tradition of the blank vote, so you go and cast a vote, but you, you vote blank or you don't vote at all. Elisa mentioned the idea of, of appealing to their uh, you know, pro-European sentiments. Do you have any sense that that could work, that that could sway some of those voters? I think it's going to be really difficult. And I was actually speaking with uh, the French MEP, uh, Manon Aubry, before the call, and uh, she was saying that really the, the second round and the victory for Emmanuel Macron is not a given this time round. Because it's, according to her and to a few other members of France and Beau Mélenchon's political party, it's going to be quite difficult to convince the left-wing voters that Emmanuel Macron is again the right choice after five years where some of them have been extremely disappointed by his policies and, and politics, considering that he was too liberal from an economic point of view and that he had basically too much of a right-wing stance on a lot of uh, social issues. So, yeah, I would say it's going to be really difficult to get those left-wing voters to back Emmanuel Macron and maybe the margin between the two candidates will be slimmer than in uh, 2017. Yeah, it does um, look like that at the moment. Thanks very much, Louise. Uh, let's come back to Clea and just kind of recap and, and look forward again to that second round. Clea, what do you think are going to be the, the sort of key dividing lines or the key moments in this two-week campaign that we now have uh, ahead of the second round? There's a head-to-head TV debate, I think. That's obviously going to be a key moment. Anything else you think could be, you know, the difference makers in these two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think that debate that's going to be in about 10 days' time is going to be a really key moment because uh, in 2017, Marine Le Pen failed completely. I mean, it was an embarrassment for her team to watch her disintegrate in front of uh, Emmanuel Macron during a TV debate. And it's something that's left a mark on, you know, her voters. They remember that, that basically when it comes to, you know, the key moment, she can collapse Now, this time round, her team says that she's far more prepared, that she's paced herself, that there's not not the same sort of infighting that there was within the national rally uh, five years ago. And so therefore she'll be in better shape. 
but whether she can, you know, convince voters, and that will be the key thing, is whether she can convince voters that her very generous proposals, which are, for example, to absolutely slash VAT on uh, foodstuff, to exempt uh, young people from paying income tax, to slash taxes on petrol and fuel, can actually be funded. And that this is that she has a credible proposals to make for France. And already we're seeing, you know, references to, you know, the markets and tailspin and things like that. And so that's going to be a key moment. Another thing will be the big rallies, you know, they're going to have rallies, show a force where you'll really see, um, you know, both of them on the campaign trail. And Emmanuel Macron had Uh, You know, he entered the race quite late, you know, only last month, and he sort of tried to keep above the fray with a very sort of presidential approach to the campaign trail. And so therefore, you know, how, you know, dirty is he going to get in the two weeks that separate us from the second round? I mean, you can already see I was watching on television one of his lieutenants really lay into somebody from the national rally saying, you know, you're close to the Kremlin. You haven't changed since the, you know, the 70s or the 80s, like of the former National Front and the National Rally saying, oh, no, you know, we've we've moved on. You're so backward. I mean, really sharp words coming from each camps. And I think, you know, the tone of, of the debate and who manages to convince voters most will be what to watch for. Right. It does sound like the gloves are coming off and it's really all to play for in the next couple of weeks. And that's all the time we have on this special edition of EU Confidential. Don't worry, we'll still bring you our regular show this Thursday, so if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And our political team will continue to follow the campaign over the coming weeks. It's looking to be quite a dramatic one, as we've said, so you can subscribe to our daily France election playbook newsletter. Or for those of you who prefer your French politics in French you can subscribe to our playbook Paris. Thanks this week to our team in France, to our social media producer Anna Fota, to executive producer Christina Gonzalez, and thanks to you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.